Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about our state's largest industry. That's agriculture. On today's show, we look forward to the North Carolina State Fair. In just a moment, we'll welcome Commissioner Troxler, who will be filling in for Jeff Turner. Jeff had a last-minute emergency to tend to. Also on this week's show, North Carolina corn guru Dr. Ron Heiniger joins us to look back at this year's growing season and share some of the yield numbers he's seeing. I think it is fair to say it's not been a normal growing year. I think it's fair to say as well it's not normal in Washington, D.C. anymore. Last Monday, we had a compromised stopgap spending bill pass the House, but that came at the expense of the speakership for Kevin McCarthy and the wheeling and dealing in Washington still going on. Congressman Murphy and Rouser both had a planned water summit in Greenville this coming week, but things were a bit busy, so that has been postponed. Ag and NC is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit. First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Speaking of the Department of Agriculture, welcome Commissioner Troxler. And Commissioner, I follow the fair food menu for the amusement as well as the appetite. We have bacon, mac, and cheese sundaes, deep-fried Korean sushi rolls, ostrich smash burgers, and dill pickle donuts. Now, <laughs> some sound delicious. I'm not sure all heart-friendly. Yeah, you know, we've got over 50 brand-new foods for the State Fair this year, and uh, we've done surveys, and the number one reason people come to the State Fair is fair food. So we have kind of overdone it this year, and we've got a plenty of it out there for people to take. Now, I know last year there was kind of a major change the way you handled traffic. You had a new gate opening. What do we know that uh, we went to school on last year that's going to be beneficial this year? Last year, we opened the new Gate 7 and uh, the Cardinal parking lot, and that has been a huge success. And it, it's kind of spread the traffic out more. And, uh, of course, this year with construction on the roads around the fairgrounds, it's going to be very, very important. But we've got plenty of parking at uh, Reedy Creek and Edwards Mill. We have a, a large lot there. We've got the Cardinal lot, uh, and we're going to add some more parking up in the uh, the area of uh, Reedy Creek uh, with some of our facilities up there. The National Guard has acquired some of the old department property, and we'll have parking up there. So uh, we're going to be trying to bring more of the people in from the uh, Carter-Finley side of the fairgrounds and, and, you know, their back because of road construction. They're making temporary more permanent all the time, but there's some areas that are still concerned. Easy, though, to get in and out of the fair? Yeah, we're going to do our best. Uh, you know, the major problem is the the closing of the uh, railroad track crossing there from Hillsboro. We're planning to have buses to get people from that side of the tracks to the fairgrounds. It's not an easy job, but one that uh, we plan for. And the trains will still be coming and putting people off right across from the state fairgrounds. So the train is always a good way to come to the state fair. The fair will be opening uh, Friday, or is it Thursday night? It's actually Thursday at lunchtime. This is a soft opening. Everything is open, but we celebrate the grand opening on Friday the 13th. It's going to be a wondrous fair, and if what I'm feeling in the community is any indication, I think we're going to see a big crowds this year. We certainly have the the best show and the largest show in North Carolina to put on, and we take that very seriously. How did the ride packages work, Commissioner? 
Well, you know, we have an uh, agreement with our ride company to always bring in new rides every year to the fair that have never been there before. And we actually have four new rides this year. And one of them is a very beautiful ride that is called the Venetian Carousel. And I've never seen a double-decker carousel before, but we're going to have one. And uh, that's something that my wife, Sharon, and I can ride. And the rest of them I'll tell you about. You make your mind up. I've Ta- seen a picture of the carousel. That <laughs> harkens back to old times. It's my speed. We're going to have the uh, Tesla AC, and this thing's got six brightly lit lightning bolts on the top of it and right off the bat that tells me it probably ain't for me the techno jump the spinning ride and the arms go up and down and they're synchronized and this is another one of the thrill rides but then comes the wipeout and this is a surf thing ride the riders face outward and it spins and moves in different directions so Everything that the riders see is going to be the fairgrounds going around in very rapid motion. Sounds like dizziness to me. Well, if that doesn't get you dizzy, there is some adult activity going on at the fair as we celebrate some of our statewide distillers. We've had, uh, you know, wine and beer sales now for quite some time at the fairground at the public house, which is in the uh, backside of Dorton Arena. Uh, we also do have a demonstration of uh, a man making moonshine, and it is real moonshine, but it is licensed. Of course, it has to be uh, destroyed. It can't be sold, but people are really still interested in how uh, we used to make uh, moonshine whiskey in North Carolina, and I said used to kind of facetiously. Uh, Johnston County uh, in the east was famous, and Wills County in the west was famous. I even heard a legislator uh, last night at an event said that they grew corn in a jar in Wills County. So uh, <laughs> this, uh, you know, people come, and, you know, that's in Heritage Circle. This is my end of the fairgrounds that I have taken a, a lot of interest in, a lot of heritage buildings, heritage crafts. Even uh, filling a barn of tobacco the old-fashioned way and curing it with wood during the fair. So this is kind of a laid-back place for people to come and enjoy. We have uh, a music stage down there with country and bluegrass music playing about all the time. And it's a place to come and get you something to eat, enjoy, and just kick back. At the heart of the fair is the fact it's an agricultural fair. Livestock shows are plenty this year as well. There are. Uh, we are always so proud to showcase our livestock industries in North Carolina, which make up about 70% of our farm gate receipts. And we're celebrating being a $100 billion industry this year. In fact, $103.2 billion. The role of the fair is to educate the public about agriculture and agribusiness and where the food supply comes from. So uh, I challenge anybody to come and to see and do everything we have to do in one day. I don't think it can be done. This is uh, a fair that has been going on for 155 times. Uh, it actually dates back to 1853, and uh, if you do the math, it's had to be closed a couple times for the Civil War, World War II, and then I had to actually close it one time for the pandemic. But 
It's a tradition in North Carolina. It's our largest uh, event in North Carolina. It's kind of like a, a great big reunion where people come and see people that they haven't seen in a while. It's just a, it's a wild ride for me to just see how many people in the state of North Carolina that I know. Come and enjoy the people. You mentioned the fair opens, softs open noon on Thursday, and how long does the fair run? The fair runs actually from October 12th through 22nd, so there's a long time to enjoy, but uh, come early, stay late, and then come back. If folks looking for more information, go to ncstatefair.org. You'll find out more there. Ag at NC is brought to you in part by Bill Carone Cars in Wallace, now the only Chevy GM dealer in eastern Carolina to become an Ag Pack dealer, which means any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than $30,000 in savings on things you probably already use. Everything from tires to crop products. Check out the advantages of the Ag Pack program at Bill Carone Cars online and in Wallace. This is Ag and NC on Talk 96.3 and 103.7 and online on your smart device, Apple or Spotify podcasts, or the IBX media app. Dr. Ron Heinegger is an associate professor at NC State, corn extension specialist for the North Carolina Department of Agriculture, and he's located at the Vernon G. James Research Center between Plymouth and Roper, and he's our state's corn guru. I'd like to build a little mystery, so let's not talk about the yield numbers up front, but if you could, Ron, give us kind of an overview of the season we've had. One of the key or remarkable features about this season has been the cool early uh, season in April, May, even in the beginning of June, temperatures were well below normal as far as growing degree units. And as a result, uh, farmers really were concerned about getting this crop off the uh, roll and start here. We then did get into more heat units in June, but we at the same time we started picking up drier weather. And by the time we got into July, why it was just doggone hot out there in the cornfield, and uh, that just continued right into August. If you um, want to think about what's uh, really required to at least make a corn crop, we fortunately had good rainfall the last week of June which sort of counteracted the dry effects and at least got us through soaking and pollination. This wasn't a perfect year by any stretch of the imagination. It started out cool, it ended up hot, and in between there was periods when it was so dry that you you thought the next day that corn crop was going to be done and then it would get a little rain. And so it, it was, you encountered these these long periods of worry, and then you had a little relief, and then you were back into the worry part of it all over again. So it, it's been a, a interesting season, as many are, but certainly uh, probably one of these seasons where we didn't expect to see a, a whole lot from this corn crop. We actually are a little bit behind, almost an inch under in most areas of eastern North Carolina. Is soil moisture keeping up? Yeah, this uh, tropical storm helped us uh, in many ways. Up through that, the soil moisture was certainly behind normal. Uh, the tropical storm, although we didn't get a huge amount of rain, I mean, four or five inches, it's not a huge amount in North Carolina. Why, we still saw dry soils right up to then, and then that rainfall came, and that sort of made soil moisture about normal at this point. As you look over the counties, primarily in the east, is there anybody who uh, just didn't get the rain in a timely fashion? 
Yeah, that that's certainly true. Halifax, Northampton, uh, Bertie counties. Uh, I don't know those folks, those northern counties of the coastal plain seem to somehow miss rainfall uh, fairly frequently, but around the Severn, North Carolina area, it was uh, they missed several important rainfall events, and it turned extremely dry. It was it was funny because it was very spotty. One person would get a, a couple inch rainfall and just a mile down the road they'd get nothing out of that so uh it wasn't a uniform dryness across those counties but but uh, still those were the hot spots as far as dry weather in north carolina insect issues and disease pressure early on disease uh, pressure was very light about mid-july however we started picking up uh, some disease uh, gray leaf spots and some southern leaf blights and light spots uh, so we saw a little more disease coming into late summer, but actually the overall the disease picture for the year was fairly moderate to light. Now insects are another story. We did see quite a bit of uh, stink bug activity. Several farmers have did spray for it in in uh, June. From what I'm seeing at the end of the season, we didn't see much damage from stink bugs to this crop. Was corn ear rot an issue this year or not so much? Yes. Oh, that is a great question there. We did see ear rot this year, and I attributed that to the fact that we did go through those periods of stress right up till we got a rain, and that sort of set the stage for getting some some early infection into this crop. So we saw a lot of diplodia, little aspergillus, certainly fusarium in this this corn crop. The good news was that our yields were so good that... um, this ear rot that was scattered through the field didn't really show up as a as a major discount or a factor in grain quality. But I have this year seen more ear rot than we've seen in certainly last two to three years. Primarily, you believe weather-related or? That heat and that dry weather really uh, stressed that crop. It opened those silks up to, to happen to be open longer before they get pollinated. That makes infection easier for these uh, disease spores. Well, certainly we did get some rain in August, and then, of course, there's tropical storm rain. So anytime you get rain after harvest, you start to accelerate some of that ear rot uh, symptoms. So we certainly have seen those conditions come together and and sort of promote ear rot this year in comparison to last year or the year before, where things were uh, certainly cooler in June, and and I think we did have a little better rainfall. Our, Our dry weather the last two years been early. This year, it certainly came in late. Dr. Ron, we're going to take a pause. You folks as well. Be right back with more Ag and NC in just a moment. Thanks in part to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, financing rural North Carolina for generations, lending solutions for farms, land, and homes personalized for you. Ag Carolina Farm Credit, giving you room to grow. This is Ag and NC on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. I'm Dan Miller, joined by Dr. Ron Heininger. Looking at harvest this year as compared to the past five years or so, USDA has us a little bit behind in the harvest as in percentage harvested. That's exactly right. That's what I'm seeing as well. I was a little surprised because I thought we got off to a pretty quick start to this harvest and then things really slowed down. I told somebody yesterday, still 25, maybe 30% of this crop still out in the field. So, yeah, this harvest really bogged down. I don't know whether 
uh, to blame the tropical storm because we did miss a whole week there due to misty, um, uh, cloudy weather. Or uh, just the fact that the farmers are trying to wait and uh, let this rain dry a little bit uh, more in the field and not take that uh, heating cost, the propane or natural gas cost. Plus, it, the other thing that's been really uh, maybe frustrating for many growers is trying to get the crop to the buyer station. As there's been uh, long lines, bins have been full, they've been having trouble taking grain. Just being able to get in, uh, I heard at Cofield, North Carolina, there was a five-hour wait uh, here uh, a week ago for dumping grain. So that's the other factor, I think, that slowed harvest down a little bit. But uh, corn moisture hasn't been a reason for the, for folks to wait after the storm? Things dried down relatively well? Yes, they have. Yeah, we've been picking some corn here this week, and it's in the 15 to 18% range at the tops. There's some late, late-planted corn that's still above 20 but 22%, but it's dried down pretty well after this the storm's come through. This corn's uh, really in good shape. What have the yields been like that you've uh, that you've been able to observe? Well, despite what I just said about the weather event, well, the yields have been outstanding to some degree. I think many people are amazed at uh, what kind of corn yields we're pulling in. I've I've seen um, uh, fields where they average in several thousand acres, 210 bushels uh, to the acre. We're seeing lots of fields where they're looking at 240 to 280 bushel corn fairly consistently. Even some of these areas I talked about that were dry, why those corn yields were in the 120 to 150 bushel range. Uh, usually when you have a dry area like that, you're talking about 80 bushel corn or less, but uh, uh, even there, there the yields were were surprisingly good. And the other factor that I want to bring out on these yields is consistency. It's not like there's been a huge, uh, really bad, all these really good yields have been very consistently high across the the state, from the south to the north, from the west to the east. Very consistent yield. Not an absolutely perfect growing season as last year turned out to almost be, but what do you credit the yields to? The first factor is these hybrids are certainly getting better. They certainly are able to tolerate for more days where they're waiting for a rainfall event. The other thing that I really credit is even though it was cool in April, early in May, why these guys waited for those good plant days and they really got this crop off to a good start. And I always say that if you can get this crop, you know, out of the ground in, in seven to eight days and get it to, to B5, B6, uh, growing uniformly and rapidly, why well, you've got the stage set for uh, overcoming challenges or stress. I think we did that very well back in April and May and set the stage for us to see something that uh, we didn't expect this uh, good yield. As we look at the best yield this year to last year, are we going to be close to those numbers? Well, we are getting some some outstanding yields uh, reported, 340, 380 bushel. We usually don't see a lot of those. Uh, well, it's almost impossible to see some of those. Usually we do get a few yields over just over 300, but this year we are seeing some yields that, that are starting to reach up in the high 300 bushel range, which is, uh, another indicator of the advancements that farmers are making, that hybrids are making, that we're seeing in, in the ability to manage this crop.
for a while I thought, oh, we're not going to be close to last year. But then I thought, oh, we might just make it. And now I'm to the opinion, given the consistency, we might actually beat our average yield from last year. So I I think we're going to be surprised when these final numbers finally get tallied. And at the research station, yeah, how much work do you get to do on uh, precision agriculture? I mean, in other words, are you uh, have you played around with trying to do some spot treatment with drones and, and that sort of thing? Yes, we are. We're playing around with spot treatment. We're now got a uh, drone, an aerial drone that will do uh, spraying plot precision patterns, and uh, we're using that here just last year for the first time, trying to see uh, if we can spot treat uh, areas. And we think maybe particularly from the standpoint of insecticides, you know, stink bugs are very uh, border-specific to these fields. We think we can gain some bandages uh, doing some of that. We're still doing some uh, some precision nutrient management, uh, both from the standpoint of where we place it uh, within relation to the seed, but also when, uh, where within the field we increase or decrease some, some uh, applications. So we still continue to do that. Precision Ag has sort of advanced over the time to now all this autonomous uh, vehicles, the ability to use drones. We're we're doing a lot with drones, uh, taking aerial images and assessing differences in fields using those. So uh, that's come a long ways from those early days where all we talked about was lime or fertilizer uh, uh, site-specific placement. Dr. Ron Heinegger is Associate Professor at NC State and Corn Extension Specialist for the NCDA. Last week's commodity numbers coming up in just a moment, but thanks to B.G. Mitchell at Farmer's Connection. If you've not put a copy of the Farmer's Connection in your hand, I highly recommend it. It's old school newsprint with information and ads from local dealers and suppliers right here in the Carolinas and Southern Virginia. Check out used equipment prices from dealers like Mark Chesson and Sons in Williamston, Caps Trailer in Dover, Robertson Equipment in Colerain, Premier Equipment in Rocky Mount, Enfield, Washington, and Aden. The Farmer's Connection, online and available at independent farm equipment dealers all over our state. This is Ag and NC. I'm Dan Miller. Grain prices out this week. Still looking for somebody to fill a position in the marketing department at the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. You might check out their website. Employment could be there for you. Cattle from last week, December live cattle features closed at 186.65 and a half of the week. December live cattle lost $1.25. November feeder cattle futures fell in the week $4.02 to 250.87. The cattle futures market saw modest corrective rebounds on Friday amid an upbeat U.S. jobs report and a rebound of the U.S. stock market that gave the general marketplace a better appetite for risk. Expiring October hogs futures rallied to a close of 82.32.5 on Friday, while most active December ended the week at 73.57.5. The latter represented a weekly gain of $1.80. Traders apparently expect the cash hog market to stabilize and possibly rally next week. North Carolina's egg prices were lower on large, steady on the balance when compared to the prior week. North Carolina weighted average price for Thursday, October the 5th. The small lot sales deliver carton grade A eggs, 151.20 for extra large, 142.24 for large, 128.25 for medium, and $92 for small eggs. That's this week's agriculture in North Carolina. Listen to the program on Talk 96.3 or 103.7, Mondays at 6.30 in the morning or 6 o'clock in the late afternoon, soon to be evening. When's that time change? You can always subscribe to our longer podcast version free on Apple or Spotify or the IBX Media app. Details on that and links to our sponsors on our website at agandnc.com. 
Thanks to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Agriculture in North Carolina, copyright 2023, Interbanks Media. For Jeff Turner and myself, Dan Miller, make it a great week.